you, worship team. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Judges chapter 16. We're going to pick up where Pastor Mark left off last week, the life of Samson. Judges 16, verse 23. It says, Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to celebrate, saying, Our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. When the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, Our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. While they were in high spirits, they shouted, Bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them. When they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, Put me where I can fill the pillars that support this temple so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there. And on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord. Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one, his left hand on the other. Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than when he lived. And when my mom read this story to me when I was four years old, I said, well, an angel came in over the top of Samson and protected him, right? Like, he didn't die here, because that's not the kind of story that would be in the Bible. Mom said, no, he died. And I said, that's not a good story. <laughs> so let's turn over to Philippians chapter 3. Verse 7. Philippians 3, 7. But, wherever, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you. We thank you for the privilege of being used by you. But much, much more we thank you for the opportunity to know you, the creator of the universe. And today I just pray that we would be able to shift our our desires and our perspectives from, uh, from function and utility to relationship. That that would be the, the thing that we desire the most, is to know you. Speak to us from your word today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. God bless you. Are you doing all right? You happy to be here in lower Alabama? I sure am. Uh, we're going to keep the young people in here today. If you didn't already know that, this is the day in the month when we keep the young people in. So that's great. We're, we're happy to have you here if you are here. And uh, 
Yeah, I love Alabama. I uh, I relate to just about everything. It didn't take me long to get excited about the way we eat here. Um, Mama Lou's. I had a I had a pastor when I first moved here who took me to Mama Lou's every week. And uh, and there's no, man, there's nothing wrong with fried chicken. You can leave those California sprouts in California, and let's fry our food. Amen. I love Alabama. I relate to everything except the football. I'm sorry. Don't be offended, but I I can't relate to the football. It's uh, it's not that I have never been able to relate. I don't know if you know this about me, but uh, at one time in my life, I was on the path to a career in professional football. Did you know that? I saw somebody over here snicker. I was on the path to a career in professional football, and then, as often happens in life, something came and intersected that path and just changed the whole destiny of my life. And that thing that changed my destiny was that I was a terrible football player. And so <clears throat> so that, that changed everything. But as a young man and growing up in the 70s, you may remember that here in the church, we were really into the superstars getting saved. You know what I mean? I don't know if you remember that Bob Dylan got saved for a while uh, on his way to becoming a Jew. <laughs> he became a Christian. I don't, I don't know, working his way backwards. But he got saved and actually did a couple Christian albums. And we loved, we loved Bob Dylan. Terry Bradshaw got saved for a while. And, uh, you know, different, different athletes and, and rock superstars got saved. And we in the Christian church just put them up on the platform and, and it and, uh, kind of ended disastrously. Well, I thought that that's what, was, what God was going to do with me. So I just knew that as, as a young middle schooler, I was going to have a career in professional football and use that as a platform for God's kingdom. So I, I joined the football team and, and sat in the bench, sat on the bench in seventh and eighth grade. I just knew that was God just preparing my heart for, for high school. And so, so when I went to high school and, and the freshman football team, I was already not only preparing, you know, my mind, but preparing myself for that time when I would announce to the world, that I was a Christian, and that was going to be at the Costa Mesa High School Athlete of the Year Banquet. Every year we had the Athlete of the Year Banquet, and of course I was going to be the Athlete of the Year. So I, pre I even prepared a speech for that, at which I never got to give, because um, after, after a year of uh, sitting on the bench as a freshman, I thought, I, I figured I missed God, or God missed me, or something. And so I stopped playing football. But if I would have, uh, if this would have happened, I had a speech. You want to hear the speech? No, never got a good speech should not be wasted. I mean, it was a lot of work. So I'm going to give you that speech today. In fact, let's set it all up here. We're and we're in Costa Mesa, California. It's a Thursday evening, and we've just had chicken cordon bleu and some sort of mashed potatoes and some sort of tea and and some cheesecake. And now the announcer comes. To, and, and I have actually prepared a, an announcement for the announcer to come and introduce the Athlete of the Year. Yeah, could you read that, Jeff? Dream, right? <laughs> Dream, right? Yes. Okay. Read the whole thing, right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you've had a good banquet so far with your cordon blue and cheesecake. Um, <clears throat> But now for the moment that we've all been waiting for. The whole thing. Please. Okay. <laughs> it gives me great pleasure to introduce to you Costa Mesa High School Athlete of the Year.
But, you know, we, we look at him as the athlete of the century. <laughs> you know, the only high school athlete to ever receive the Heisman Trophy. Please welcome to the stage, Lee Freeze! Thank you, and you may be seated. Many of you have wondered over the last four years, what makes Lee Free so great? I want to tell you, the reason that I am a great athlete is because of God, because because of God in my life. And and then I would, you know, I would I'm going to skip some of the meat of the of the speech, but I would talk about some of the highlights of my career. Who can forget the many times that the cheerleaders had to drag me off the field exhausted after after a great game. Um, many of you wanted would want to know how does a person letter in 10 sports including chess. I would explain some of those things. And then at the end though, at the end I would this is this is what I thought God would really like this at the end I would say now if any of you here would say I want to be great too bow your heads and close your eyes and here in, in a public high school you know I would do an altar call anybody here say by an uplifted hand would say Lee I want to be great like that show me how yes yes I see that yes yes hands are going up all over all over the gym tonight yes thank you thank you and you know people would People in one fell swoop at the end of my high school career would come to Jesus. And this would just be the beginning of a fantastic evangelistic career, you know. And uh, I thought that was a great idea, but God didn't go for it. And so uh, I, I didn't do well at football or any kind of sport. So then I went music. And I actually, I actually, back in those days, I don't know if you've heard of Oral Roberts or Oral Roberts University, but back then they were on TV and had the world action singers, and I feared I must have missed it with the sports thing, so I'm going to be a world action singer and be and sing, greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. And so I applied to the music program at Oral Roberts, and I got a message back and said, you would be a fantastic candidate for music here if you could only be a good musician. So that didn't work out either. And so uh, I, I kind of came to... Uh, a difficult place in my life that lasted about 20 years. And it was, what good am I now? If, if I don't have anything useful to God, what good am I? And I'm so grateful now that he didn't bless that crazy scheme I had. And I'm so grateful for this. It's really literally been a 20-year struggle and Cindy can tell you, because she's walked with me through so much of that struggle of trying to be somebody and do something for God. And it's taken me, because I guess I'm hard-headed, it's taken me such a long time. And because we live in a world that's so function-oriented, men, what do we say when we get together and we first meet somebody? We shake your hand and then immediately say, well, what do you do? We will, we will understand you. We will know you when we know what is the job that you do. Right. And uh, even even today, what we when when it's a great athlete or when ministers get together, we shake one another's hands at the ministers conventions. And we we can't wait to ask how many people are in your church? How are you how are you doing? What are you accomplishing? And for years and years and years, I have struggled against that, because when you live in an accomplishment orientation, you never do enough. You never feel satisfied. 
And I, and I always felt like God was never satisfied with me. Always up there going, man, I gave you so much potential and you've just squandered it. That's how I thought my relationship was with God. And somewhere along in the last 20, 25 years, there's been a transformation where God has begun to, and believe me, it's not, I'm, I'm not walking in this all the time because this is a, this is a lifelong struggle, particularly for us task-oriented men, but I'm starting to realize that it's not primarily about what we do for God. It is primarily us knowing this person who created us, knowing him. And what I was so happy when Pastor Mark preached about Samson, because here's a guy who was mightily used by God, but it wasn't a happy story, was it? As a, as a four-year-old, I recognized this is a bad story. This is not a Disney story. You couldn't do this on Disney because it has a very bad ending. He dies in, in his greatest accomplishment. He dies having failed himself and his family and God. And I came to realize, and I wrote it down one day at my desk in Point Clear, Alabama. I wrote this down. Anyone can be used by God. Anything can be used by God. But it is a privilege to know God. And I got started to think about the people who were used by God. There was Samson, not a happy story. Pharaoh, did Pharaoh know God? Did Pharaoh, did, was, was Pharaoh a positive character? He was this person who kept hardening his heart to God. And, and then when God saw his potential, God added some hardness to his heart. And God used Pharaoh to deliver his people it was a great outcome but he used this this guy and it was a negative situation for Pharaoh and Pharaoh is not a hero in the story and does not have a happy life or a happy ending ends up drowning in the middle of an ocean there's a, a passage in Isaiah and uh, to save a little bit of a time I'll just describe it there's a king there named Cyrus and Isaiah writes these words from God saying, I say to you, Cyrus, my anointed one, I'm going to use you to humble my people and to humble all the kings of the earth. And did you hear what God said to him? He said, my anointed one. But Cyrus was a pagan idol worshiper who never came to God. And yet God used him. So I got to thinking back 10 or 12 years ago in Point Clear, Alabama, maybe it's not such a unique thing to be used by God. Wait a minute. He used a staff. He used a stick in Moses' hand. Wait a minute. He used a donkey. When Balaam, when Balaam was going in a bad direction, he, he, um, he used a donkey to speak to Balaam. And, and Balaam and the donkey said, why are you beating me? Have I not been faithful to you all these years? A donkey starts speaking and God puts words in his mouth. God used, God used the donkey. Maybe it's not so special. And when you think about it, when you think about it, God uses every piece of dust, every pebble, every fly, every gnat, every person, every star. He uses everything in his grand scheme 
to bring all of his children home. That's what God is all about right now in the universe, is bringing all of his children home because he wants to build this family where he can love on us through eternity. And he'll use anything that he can for that purpose. But he does use everything. But there's something special in the midst of all that that not everybody gets. And that is the privilege of knowing. We all have the privilege, but not very many people take the opportunity to know God. So everybody can be used by God, but it's a privilege to know Him. And I thought about in in the book of John, we believe that the book of John was written by John, and that whenever John referred to himself, remember it was John was uh, James and John, and they were called Boanerges, or the, thun, the sons of thunder. And uh, they were the, supposedly these just crazy, just nervy, kind of radical guys that followed Jesus. But John was this one who kind of tucked himself in close to Jesus all the time. In fact, when John, writing the book of John, refers to himself, he says, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And you see just a couple little glimpses into John's life. And one of them was his mom. James and John are hanging out with Jesus, and all of a sudden their mom comes up to Jesus and says, I got, I got a request for you, Jesus. Will you, uh, and Jesus said, what's your request? And he says, in your kingdom, when your kingdom is fully realized, will you let James sit on one throne right next to you and John sit on another throne right next to you? What a nervy thing to ask Jesus, you know? And um, that was kind of their M.O., and that was kind of John's M.O. He was just nervy. He was always just kind of pushing his way up close to Jesus. But that tendency that he had gave him a special relationship with Jesus. Through my, I was thinking about through my years as a, as a youth pastor, I have had a lot of students, and, and there have been those few. In fact, there's one in here this morning. Those few that just have their way of just kind of pushing their way up close. And some of the other young people in the youth group could probably look at me and go, Oh, Mr. Lee plays favorites. Look, he's always hanging so close to Bob. Mr. Lee plays favorites with Bob. But the reality is Bob has always been kind of snuggling up close to me. And because of that, he ends up having a closer relationship with me. You know what I'm talking about? It wasn't me just saying, oh, I'm going to pick favorites. It's the people that say, I want to get close to Mr. Lee. And that's how it was with John. He just always snuggled up close to Jesus. And so there's another scene where he's having dinner, the Last Supper. And you know, we picture the Last Supper. Come on up here, Joe. Joe's going to help me with this. We picture in the Last Supper, uh, Da Vinci's Last Supper, where they're all strangely sitting on one side of the table, and they're sitting in chairs. Uh, but actually, if you read in your Bible, uh, Jesus was reclining at the table, because in the in the Roman world, they uh, I, I think to save money on chairs, uh, they they were they would recline at the table. So the table was a, was a, a little short thing, and they would kind of sit around the table like this. So. I'm going to be John, and Joe's going to be in the position of Jesus. So, Joe, come on. Do what we practice. Can you do that? Let me pull my chair out real quick. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. All right. So, there. So, this is where Jesus was, and here's where John was. And 
and they eat like this. And he makes fun of me because this is my favorite way to eat. And uh, like you, you put the bag of potato chips here, the TV's right there. And he, and he, it's the, does anybody else do this? Stretch out on the couch and do this? And I'm just going, I'm just trying to be like Jesus. But, uh, but it says that at, at, at a per- certain point in the, in, the, in the evening that John just kind of reclined against Jesus. I know this may even make you feel uncomfortable. I know it makes Joe feel really uncomfortable. He was having a hard time in, in practice. I was saying, Joe, you're going to have to get closer. And he's about four feet back going, I'm a manly man. Come on. Look at my ink, you know, kind of a thing. And, um, but this is how it was. And, this is, and John just had this relationship with, with Jesus where he just kind of snuggled up close. So that when Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me. Peter, the rock, whispered to John, the beloved, and said, Hey, you, if anybody's going to get the secret from Jesus, it's you. So would you ask Jesus who it is? And so John said, Master, who is it? And so, thank you, Joe. Let's, let's give it up for Joe. This was really hard for him. That's the kind of relationship that John had with Jesus. And it was special. And so special, in fact, that when Jesus died and then he rose again, he went up to heaven. All the disciples went off in different directions with different ministries. And they all accomplished great things for Jesus. And then they were all martyred except for one. Who? John. Who was, who was placed on the island of Patmos... And um, exiled there. And he actually, we think he, he probably died, a natural, died of natural causes. And when Jesus was up in heaven saying, I've got to give one last message to the church that will kind of close out the scriptures and, sit, and, and set the tone for the next however many thousands of years. It's been 2,000 years so far. Who will I use to send that important message through? Guess who? That John the Beloved, that one who had that intimate connection with him. And so Jesus himself came from heaven to the island of Patmos and revealed himself to his beloved disciple John and gave the message of revelation, which was a message that is to us today. How to behave and how to be expecting Jesus to come back at any time. Are you tracking with me? It is special to have a relationship with Jesus. Being used by God, great. We, we sang the song. Did you sing that song, Jesus, use me? Please, Lord, don't refuse me. Surely there's a work that I must do. Did anybody sing that song? It's Pentecostal, maybe not. What was your Baptist song for being used by God? I don't know. Um, how about to be used of God to... No? Okay. We sang songs about being used by God. And I grew up thinking, this is the ultimate, this is the zenith, this is the peak for God to use me. And then through the years I saw people mightily used by God come crashing down and having affairs and, and doing terrible things with, with the money that they've been entrusted with. And I realized there must be something more than being used by God to know Him. That comes first. And if we are used by God, it should flow after that. So it's special. 
So I want to I want to finish up today kind of in a in a practical uh, little thing because there are people here going, yeah, I want to I want to know God like that. That sounds like a really good thing. But if you're like me, I'm a task oriented person. Raise your hand if you consider yourself more task oriented. Than, than people-oriented. Okay, so this next part of the message, a lot of hands went up. This next final part of the message is going to be for you. The, the uh, relational-oriented people, you can go home now because you already get it. You already know. Okay, I just need to have a relationship with God. It comes not, Somebody's just getting up and leaving right now. Thank you. Thank you for following our advice. He's a relational... Be friends with him because he's a fun person to know. Um, but... I hope he doesn't hate me. I don't even. Yeah, I think he had to get a, go get a drink or something. But uh, Cindy is relationship oriented. I'm task oriented, and I and from all, from these years of being together, I, I, I can describe this. It's not that it's not that she doesn't care about the task. It's just that the relationship comes first. She's got to get the relationship taken care of before she gets to the task. I, on the other hand, it's not that I don't love people. I love people, and I know that they're the most important thing. But the task. I, I got to get the task done first. In fact, the task for me is about the people. If I'm, in, I'm doing this task for the people, right? I'm doing this for you. I'm cooking for you. Don't talk to me right now. I'm cooking for you, right? And so, and, and so it's like this: if, if two people sweeping, if Cindy is sweeping, she's going to sweep the floors, and I, I can come back three hours later, and she's still working on that first little section of sweeping, and I'm saying, Cindy, what happened? You've been sweeping for three hours, and she'll say, Well. AT&T called, and I'm saying, yeah, and she, well, we were a little bit late on our bill, and, and then we, I got to talking to the girl in the AT, for, working for AT&T, and she's having some marriage difficulties, and so we, we were talking, and, and, and that is totally, I mean, if, if, any, if there's any way that she can possibly have a relational moment, she's going to. And so if, if, and if there's any sort of a dangling relationship issue, if there's something that she's worried about, her kids, she's going to take care of those things. So really, tasks never get done by Cindy. Okay, they just don't. Because there's always going to be a dangling relationship thing going on. On the other hand, with me, tasks, if you come to me and if I'm sweeping and you come to me with your marriage difficulties, I'm going to keep sweeping as I listen to your marriage stuff because I've got to get this done or I won't be able to concentrate on your thing. And there's always tasks. So I, I struggle with putting the task aside so that I can do the relationship thing. So I'm saying that to all the relationship people here. Don't feel bad. You're not, it's not that you don't love people. It's just that God gave you an orientation of getting the task done, and you're doing that for the people. So here is how we navigate this whole thing of knowing of having an intimate relation because it is a relationship I'll, I'll explain it how i explain to cindy if you if you for cindy if she's going to get a task done she has to see it like a relationship so i say cindy here's this pile of dishes that need to get washed talk to them okay talk to the dishes sing with them play with them give them a little bath and and drive them off and 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 that she's got to look at the task like a relationship well i've got to look at the relationship like a task so here's how we do it there's four things involved in a relationship and um, i'm going to use terry's stool here four things involved in a relationship when you even if you're task oriented when you fell in love with that person when you first fell in love with that person you did these things because love overpowered you. You talked to that person. 
talked for hours on the phone. You listened to that person. You, you s- soaked in every detail. You listened. You got to know those pers- this person's friends because you just wanted to be immersed in her life, in his life. And so you, you, got to, you even dressed up and met her mom and dad and put your best foot forward. You got to know her crew. And finally, you, you got involved in the things that she was doing. Because wherever she was going, you wanted to be there. And if you're, uh, if you're a girl, wherever he was going, you wanted to be there. And I, realize, I just think back over, even though I, I'm very task-oriented, as I was falling in love with Cindy, that was really true. Talk, talk, talk. Listen, listen, listen. Meeting all of her friends and trying to make a good impression on her friends and wanting to get to know her friends because her friends were her. You know what I mean? And then going where she was going. She, she worked at a dress store. And so I was always at a dress store, um, doing as, as athletic and, and manly as I was. I was hanging out at a dress store because that's where she was. And she, I, I was a youth minister. I was a middle school director. And so she was one of the middle school leaders because she wanted to be where I was, doing what I was doing, doing what I cared about. Well, guess what? If you were to read Acts chapter 2 and read the, the life of the early church, who was concerned with getting to know and staying connected with Jesus, that is exactly what they did. It says that in, at the end of Acts chapter 2, that they listened to the apostle teachings, that is, they listened to God, that they spent much time praying, that is, they talked to God, that, that they fellowshiped with each other from house to house. They were always hanging out from house to house, some people through through my years of ministry and even up to up, even up to this date I've I've heard every once in a while why do we eat so much why do we talk about eating that's not spiritual oh yes it is yes it is because uh, when you're eating when you're sitting across from somebody chewing which is kind of a when you think about it when you look at somebody chewing it's a strange looking thing right you gotta you gotta trust that person right. Hopefully you don't you don't go eat spaghetti on a first date. You don't know this person. And eating is an intimate thing. And when you when you sit at a table and eat with somebody, you're creating and maintaining a deep connection. So yes, we eat at Freedom Church, and we're going to eat tonight together because it's what we do. And we hang out and we we play golf together and we sew together and whatever because we want to we want to be together. The disciples wanted to be with. Jesus's friends so they hung out together and finally they wanted to go where Jesus was going and they wanted to care what Jesus cared about so they reached out and served the world I teach this to young people and they've seen this now probably three different times but this is the balanced Christian life this is the person who wants to have a relationship with Jesus they pursue these things just like just like John pursued Jesus and snuggled up to Jesus. This is how you snuggle up to Jesus now. You talk to him. You read his word and you listen to sermons. You spend time with his people like you're doing right now today. And you say, Jesus, what, what do you care about? Who can I serve? Who can I reach? Who can I, who can I nudge into your kingdom, into your household? I want to go where you're going. I want to do what you're doing. And here's the thing. 
nothing worse than sitting on a wobbly chair. Nothing worse than sitting on a chair that's got even a half inch, one leg that's a half inch too short. It's just uncomfortable. Yet Christians everywhere sit on chairs that are terribly wobbly. I talked with a Christian yesterday that says, I don't like people. It's me and God. And uh, it, it's, a, it's just, I don't even know if you can sit on a chair like that. We need these four things, and we need to pursue them to know Jesus. So there, task-oriented person, that's how you do relationship with Jesus. Well, I want to wrap up with a, with a little parable. So here's a boy, he's 16, and his mom and dad are gone. They're gone. They passed away in a car accident, and he's kind of got to take care of himself. So he gets a job at Walmart, works in the electronic department at Walmart, and he's working there, taking care of himself. And then one day, all of a sudden, there's a, he notices there's just a man kind of standing over him. He says, yes, sure, sir, may I help you? He says, my name is Sam Walton, and I'd like to take you to lunch. And he goes, okay. And as, and, uh, he goes to lunch. Sure, I'll take a free lunch. Comes back, and the manager says, you know who that was, right? He says, no. He says, that was uh, Sam Walton. He said, I know. He introduced himself. That's the owner of Walmart. He's a, he's a multi-billionaire. He's the richest man on the planet. He just took you to lunch. Whoa. A couple days later, same man standing there. Hey, you want to go to lunch again? So he goes to lunch. And over time, Sam Walton takes this guy out to lunch and gets to know him tells him his stories about how he took one little drugstore and turned it into... You, we went to Costa Rica, and there's Walmarts in Costa Rica. They're, they're around the world, and Sam Walton is telling the story to this little, this little kid. Finally, Sam says, you know what I want to do with you, son? I know what happened to you. I want to take you into my family. I want to adopt you. Wow. So he's adopted by Sam Walton. Now, if you were to come up to him... And say, son, what's more important to you, that you work at Walmart for Sam Walton or that you have a relationship with Sam Walton? What do you think he'd say? Millions and millions of people work for Sam Walton, but to have a relationship with him and to be adopted by him, now that is special. And that is nothing compared to the creator of the universe. We get so caught up with usefulness. We get so enamored of preachers who preach to thousands. And, the, and we count the people who come in the altar calls. But do you know that God can and has used preachers who have crazy, shameful lives, and yet they preach God's words? Paul even said that. Hey, these guys are messed up on the inside, but they're still pe preaching the truth and leading people to Jesus, so I'm glorifying that. God has used some crazy people, but He, the Creator of the universe, offers us the opportunity to know Him. That is special. And that is my plea to you today as your friend and as one of the pastors here at Freedom Church. I just plead with you to work with me in shifting your paradigm. Don't define yourself by what you do, but by who you know. And if you're here today and 
and realizing, man, I, I want that. I want to stop focusing so much on the doing, and I want to focus more on knowing Him. Um, I just want to pray a, a prayer with you this morning. I'm going to tell you one more story. I'm sorry, you probably already bowed your heads. Now you have to put your head back up again. We're okay. It's 11 o'clock, okay? Are we okay? This story is only 45 minutes, so we'll still get up. Abraham. God comes down to his friend, Abraham, and wants to make a, an agreement, a covenant with Abraham. And so he did what, he did what they did back then. They would take animals and they would cut them in half. Here's a, here's a goat, cut it in half. Here's a bird, cut it in half. Here's a sheep, cut it in half. And he'd put one half on this side, one half. And he'd make two lines of half animals. And now both parties would walk through those and say, I, I am making a strong agreement with you that I would rather be cut in half than break this agreement with you. And the Bible says that that God came and he set that all up and, and it's like this, this mist, this glory came down and it was so heavy that Abraham got queasy and he just kind of went off to the side and, didn't, and was not able to walk through those halves. And so God walked through by himself and the whole message of, what, of that was, get this, this is so beautiful. We in our humanity, we never can keep up our part. So God goes through and says, all right, I'll keep up both parts. And that's what he did with Jesus. He said, here's the law. Here's what I expect from you. <laughs> and he knew we weren't going to be able to do it, so he sent Jesus. So we cry out to Jesus and we say, God, I can't do this. And so here's, here's what we're going to do when we pray. We're going to say, God, I want to know you, but I don't even know how to know you. So would you come and, and do that part too? Would you just fill me up with your spirit and, and cause me to know you? That's how we're going to pray. So now you can bow your heads. And Father, today, this morning, if anybody has resonated with this message and has a, a desire to know you, I'm going to be honest with you. You're invisible, and I, we, we can't feel you very often, and, and we don't very often get audible um, messages from you. You're a hard person to get to know. And... But we want to. And so we ask you that you would come and walk through that gauntlet for both of us, God. And that you would draw us to yourself. Even on days when we wake up and we don't have the strength to seek you, would you give us the strength to seek you? And may we be people who define ourselves by the fact that we know, we have a relationship. We have been adopted by the creator of the universe. Let that be us today, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.